Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. Today on American Indian Airwaves, the FBI's COINTEL or Counterintelligence Program and its infiltration into the Los Angeles chapter of the American Indian Movement in Box Canyon, Ventura County, California, and the FBI's framing of Paul Skyhorse and Richard Mohawk for the murder of George Aird on October 10th in 1974. We'll hear from a longtime activist and organizer who was a first-hand participant in the Skyhorse Mohawk trial, one of the longest and most controversial trials in California history. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone Today on American Indian Airwaves, we hear from Moses Mora, a longtime activist organizer, and for the past 50 years, he's been part of various grassroots movements, including the American Indian Movement, the Environmental Movement, the Chicano Movement, and more. In addition, our guest was a firsthand participant in the Skyhorse Mohawk Trial back in the 1970s. In 1974, with the recently created or established Los Angeles chapter of the American Indian Movement in Box Canyon, Ventura, California, and the FBI's infiltration into the organization, mid-level AIM activists Paul Durant Skyhorse from the Anishinaabe Nation and Richard Billings Mohawk from the Tuscarora Mohawk Nations were wrongfully framed by the FBI for the October 10, 1974 murder of cab driver George Aird. The Skyhorse Mohawk trial lasted three and a half years, cost California taxpayers a little over a million and a quarter dollars, and both Paul Skyhorse and Richard Mohawk were incarcerated during the entire time before they were acquitted by a California jury on May 24th of 1978. Marcus Lopez, executive producer and co-host of American Indian Airwaves and I have the honor and pleasure to speak with longtime activist Moses Mora, who is pivotal and shares with us his lived experiences during these turbulent times and his participation in the Skyhorse Mohawk trial and more. Thank you, Moses Mora. I've been knowing you for years, for decades. You always show up in a good way to our Native community, Chicano community, and the uh, overall social justice community. So appreciate your comments. And 
we want to talk about something that happened in 1974, October the 10th to be precise, and two individuals that eventually, we don't want to start there, but eventually, popularly known as Paul Skyhorse and Richard Mohawk, they had other names, we'll get into that, after a 13-month-long trial, and uh, they were in the courts three and a half years in jail, costing the public a million and a quarter dollars about the situation that we're going to talk about. But so, because you were on the defense committee, want to take us back to that time, who was involved in the defense committee, how were you involved, and let's start there for our listeners. Okay, if you want to start with the defense committee, yes, there was in Ventura, California, where where the trial uh, started, there was something called the Skyhorse Mohawk Offense Defense Committee, and it was it was made up mostly of students and citizens who eventually came to the defense of Skyhorse and Mohawk once that the word got out, and they wanted to help, you know, see justice. So um, it was myself who organized the Skyhorse Mohawk Offense and Defense Committee, and um, we did a pretty good job in getting the word out and getting people to attend uh, the, the pretrial arrangements uh, in Ventura. And then eventually they won what they call a change of venue motion. They argued that they could not get a fair trial in Ventura County and that their trial should be moved. And uh, the basis for their argument was that the Ventura County Bar Association put on their annual banquet. And uh, for entertainment, they had a skit uh, that they called The People versus Tonto. And it basically mimicked, made fun of the Skyhorse Mohawk uh, trial. And what's important about this is that essentially every lawyer and judge in Ventura, Ventura County, was at that banquet. And they were just having a good time uh, laughing and drinking and, and being entertained at the expense of Paul Skyhorse and Richard Mohawk. That's just a little bit of why they argued that they could not get a fair trial in Ventura. And um, sure enough, you know, they won that motion, and the trial actually took place in Los Angeles, all right? So that, and I was asked to move with them to Los Angeles and, and help organize in Los Angeles. So I did that. I quit my job, and I quit school, and I, I moved to Los Angeles, and I organized for them over there. And so that's how I became also, you know, firsthand participant and witness uh, to the trial. And in fact, I was the last witness of the trial. Yeah, so I testified uh, at the trial. And so that's what... Uh, the defense committee did. They organized fundraisers with different artists and tried to raise some money and awareness, you know, just like anybody would do if they have a cause that they believe in. But uh, if you want me to, I'll get into the incident, the actual crime and 
the details of that because that's really where the story is. Yes, please. The incident was the murder of a cab driver. His name was George Aird. And he picked up three people at David Carradine's house in Los Angeles. The three people, two of them were Native Americans and one was a young Anglo woman. It was Marvin Redshirt, Marcella Eaglestaff, those are the two natives, and the young white girl was named Holly Bouchard. They, they got in the cab and they asked to be taken to Box Canyon, which is in Simi Valley. It's very close to both the Los Angeles and the Ventura County border. So it's a pretty remote place too, especially if you can imagine 50 years ago what Sami looked like. Today it's, it's a suburban place, but back then it was very, very rural. And so by the time they got to Ventura from Los Angeles, they had already hijacked the cab. And in fact, Marvin Redshirt was driving the cab when it arrived in Box Canyon. What happened after that was, well, they had no way to pay this guy. At first, they tried to uh, give him like jewelry and turquoise, and they tried to convince him that Holly Richard was a young starlet, that she was gonna be in the movies. And they just tried to assure him that that they could trust them, but that didn't last long. And uh, he was essentially taken captive. And once they got to the camp, uh, they beat him. They beat him and tortured him and eventually killed him. He was stabbed many, many times. And he was his body was stuffed down a drain pipe. The interesting thing about this is the night of the killing, when the police came, they arrested and solved the case right there. The same day of the killing, it was solved. They had the people who did it. Marvin Richard had blood on his pants, and when he was asked about it, he said that he had been skinning rabbits earlier in the day and that that was rabbit blood, all right? Marcella Eaglestaff was um, actually taking a shower, washing, washing the blood out of her hair and her body. Holly Bouchard, in her purse, was a knife and the cab driver's keys. So right there, they arrested those three, and they had evidence on those three. But the great mystery of this case and trial was that within a few months, they decided to let those three go, they being the Ventura County, but the prosecutors, the district attorney, uh, decided to drop charges against those three in exchange for their testimony against two others. And the two others were Paul Skyhorse and Richard Mohawk. They were in the camp that night. But they were told about the, the killing later. They were not involved in it. And, and they did leave the camp. They did. And so from that point on, it became known as the Skyhorse Mohawk case. And why any law enforcement people would let people go who they had evidence on 
in exchange for two others who they had no real evidence on except for the testimony of these three who were trying to save themselves from their own deeds. Like you mentioned earlier, it went to trial. It was a long trial. At the time, it was the longest trial in California history. But at the same time in history, the Hillside Strangler was, you know, terrorizing Los Angeles. And eventually his trial was longer. But I mean, that's nothing to brag about how long your, your, your trial is. But it's a fact. It took that long. And it, and it took, like you mentioned, millions of dollars to prosecute these two. And then it essentially ended up in a not guilty verdict. And so that, in a nutshell, is the case. But you can you can talk, and I could answer pretty much all the, any other questions that you might have about it. Moses, I was wondering you know, for those of us that weren't around or um, you know during that time, place this into the context, if you will, of the American Indian Movement or the Los Angeles American Indian Movement chapter Camp Thirteen and how that relates to, you know, the alleged alleged crimes supposedly by Paul Skyhorst Rant and Richard Mohawk Billings. Yes, excellent question. So I'm glad you asked that one because that brings up a whole lot of things in and including uh, FBI involvement, which is really at the heart of, of everything. So yes, this murder in Box Canyon took place about two years after the Wounded Knee occupation in South Dakota. And that was really a big thing. And the American Indian movement had got their feet and they were they were a movement, you know, and they were active and they were doing things across the country coming to, you know, raising awareness of American issues, American Indian issues, and coming to the defense of uh, Native people where, where they needed to. So, yeah, it was something like that movement was um, at their zenith. They were very, very uh, active at that time. And we believe that part of the reason that the FBI took interest in this case is because they wanted something to smear the American Indian movement with on the West Coast. Because most of the support for Native peoples came from the East Coast and the West Coast. You know, where there are celebrities, there are people with money, there's news, there's everything. You know, you convince those folks and you got support on your side. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Moses Mora, a longtime activist and organizer who was a firsthand participant in the Skyhorse Mohawk trial back in the 1970s. He's speaking on the FBI's counterintelligence program and the wrongful framing of mid-level American Indian movement activists Paul Durant Skyhorse and Richard Billings Mohawk for the murder of cab driver George Aird. And now back to the interview. So they thought this was an ideal situation to charge these members of the American Indian movement with a capital offense, you know, charging them with murder. And, um, and so they did that. 
I, you know, they didn't really have the evidence. They hoped they did, but it was obvious, like almost right away, that the evidence was, was not there. Skyers and Mohawk, eventually the National Council of Churches came in and funded their, their defense team, the lawyers, Leonard Wineglass, you know, Jack Swartz, Wendy Eaton, Diane Orr, Peter Young and Skip Glenn, six of them. And some of them had already had big cases in this country, like the Chicago 7 mm. or 8 or 9, whatever number, you know, over the years, the number of them changed. But, yeah, they were involved in the Chicago 7 uh, trial. They were involved in Jane Fonda's case against the CIA. They were involved in a lot of, like, um, the Black Power Movement, and uh, they were political lawyers who just knew their way around the courtrooms like that. And so that, right from the start, it was like the defense just outpowered the local attorneys who just had never come up against anything like this. And that, that helped considerably in the defense effort and the winning of, of not, not guilty verdict and um aim skyers and mohawk they always knew that or it didn't take long once once they were they were arrested it didn't take long to figure out that the there was fbi involvement and the fbi involvement came in the form of douglas durham and he's one of them i'm gonna name a few uh, Douglas Durham described himself not as an informant, but as a FBI operative, kind of meaning like he was doing more than just informing on activists. You know, he, he had a hand in the engineering of situations. And prior to the killing of the cab driver, George Aird, Douglas Durham went to Box Canyon and he interviewed Skyhorse and Mohawk and he asked them, what are you doing here? What do you want to do at this place? And Skyhorse outlined that this would be a good place to, to like start an Indian school. You know, we can teach about our own culture. Indian schools at that time in history were very popular and they were happening on reservations all over the country. You know, so it was a concept of educating ourselves on our own history and not having to re rely on public school and whatever the dominant education was telling people. So they told that to Douglas Durham, and they also told Douglas Durham that the next month in November, they would be in Tucson, Arizona, attending an American Indian educational conference. So when Douglas Durham left Box Canyon, he knew that the next month where they'd be at, that they would be in Tucson. But the other thing that Douglas Durham did during that period of time, at Box Canyon, right at the entrance, there was this huge rock, and Douglas painted it white and then he wrote on the rock 
AIM Camp 13. He did that to make people think that AIM Camps 1 through 12 existed somewhere in the country. And this is the 13th one, which was, this was just something that sprung out of Douglas Durham's imagination. And eventually, he was exposed and he admitted, he admitted that he was doing this work for the FBI. And then shortly thereafter, he disappeared from, from the scene and then reappeared on a national talk circuit for the John Birch Society of all people. All right, that, that's what Douglas Durham did. And he was good at what he did. When he infiltrated the American Indian Movement, the first thing he did was he buddied up with, with Dennis Banks, who was you know, one of the main leaders of the American Indian Movement. And the way he did that is because Douglas Durham was a pilot. And he either had his own plane or he had access to a plane. So he was able to drive Dennis Banks from state to state, city to city, whenever Dennis needed to be somewhere else or, or two places in one day, you know. So he was very valuable to, to Dennis. And all this while, he was an FBI, you know, operative. Okay, so, so that's one, all right, that's one of them. And this, again, I, I have to say, this happened before the killing of George Aird. They were already being scrutinized and, and informed on. Another one was a woman by the name of Virginia DeLuce. And Virginia DeLuce was an actress. And um, she had a role one time on, on TV. And, and, and her name in the role was Blue Dove. And so she played the part of an American Indian on, in this uh, TV show. And so she just used the name Blue Dove. And Blue Dove was, in essence, an FBI uh, informer. And she took direction from the FBI. And actually, the day that George Aird was killed, she had picked Skyhorse and Mohawk up at Box Canyon and took, him, took them to a demonstration supposedly for Sarah Badheart Bull, a woman who had a trial going on. And um, this was in, in defense of, of Sarah Badheart Bull. And at that demonstration, the pictures of Skyhorse and Mohawk were taken, you know, and used later for identification. And then after the demonstration, Blue Dove drove Paul and Richard back to Box Canyon, all right? And she stayed active. The interesting thing about her is that she considered herself a supporter of Native Americans. And she must have thought that the American Indian Movement were the bad guys and that she was supporting Indians by telling the FBI what they were up to you know, by reporting on on that group who lived there. And that's how she showed her support. 
you know, so that's that. The other thing, there was a third thing, or there was a man, and I might have to be vague on this, but I think his name was George Mitchell. And George Mitchell was also in cahoots with the FBI, and he was making sure that the rent was being paid on the camp because that camp was apparently very valuable to the FBI, that they wanted to keep track on a whole bunch of people at once. And if they were all staying there, they had to make sure that people didn't scatter and the, the rent was paid through the FBI. So right there in just that little bit that I told you, the FBI have their fingerprints all over the case. And aside from that, the Los Angeles law enforcement also assigned another man to, to infiltrate our group, the Skyros Mohawk Offense Defense Committee. He got involved with us, and um, we didn't expose him. He was with us for about, you know, the entire time that the trial went on. And he was, his name was Frank Montalongo. All right, because I, hey, I'm the type of guy who I, I give names, right? I give names and I expose people who need to be exposed. And this is all public information anyway. You know, I'm not, I'm not revealing any secrets here. What, I, what I'm telling you here today was known like almost 50 years ago, a whole lot of this. I'm just repeating it because life and time has a way of making history timely again mm. all right so it's like that and Frank Montalongo reported on us and, and that, that's quite a story right there because you know what he was such a nice guy we all loved him and we didn't want to believe it when we found out he was informing on us but uh, ACLU the American Civil Liberties Union in Los Angeles filed a lawsuit against the police in Los Angeles and the Los Angeles uh, County settled, settled with, with the lawsuit and um, the movement had a payday. Let, let's just say it that way. Uh, over $2 million was granted for exactly that same thing, spying on its citizens. Frank Montalongo in particular had informed and traveled with us for nearly four years. And when he was asked the question, in four years of infiltrating, what crimes did you report? And he really had nothing to report on. He said, well, we were in, in Fresno one time and we were having a demonstration and they wanted to start the demonstration with a pipe ceremony. And they asked people not to take photographs at this point but they noticed one reporter with a camera getting closer and closer and trying to get a picture of the pipe ceremony and somebody threw a rock at him all right that's one that's one crime right there okay the other one uh, he said that one morning he was invited to to smoke and he he took it that they were going to have you know passed the pipe around but instead early one morning a few guys passed the joint around and 
in four years of informing, that's all he could say. You know, they threw a rock and they smoked a joint. It took them four years to get that, that much information. There was nothing about like, oh, they had weapons, you know, they had hand grenades, they had machine guns, they, they robbed this store. There was no crimes involved. And in fact, uh, Frank Montalongo, he, it got to him and he was telling his handlers, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and um, eventually, you know, they took him off of that. And uh, to my knowledge, he might be retired by this time. But you know, he last I knew, he was still in the in the Long Beach uh, Police Department. And so that's another thing. That's some more um, a spying and infiltration that went on, aside from. Uh, the FBI involvement. And now I'd like to tell you, if I can, you know, the real crux and why we're talking about this today. The crux of it is um, there's a new book out right now. It's called Law and Disorder, Confessions of a District Attorney. And it was written by the person who was the district attorney back in the 1970s. And in his new book, Chapter 8, deals with Paul Skyhorse and Richard Mohawk. And in it, you know, for the first time, he reveals that the FBI was involved. And he names who the F FBI agents were that was involved now like that's to us that was no secret we knew that 50 years ago and you're listening to american indian airwaves we're speaking with moses mora a longtime activist and organizer who was a first-hand participant in the Skyhorse Mohawk trial back in the 1970s. He's speaking on the FBI's counterintelligence program and the wrongful framing of mid-level American Indian movement activists Paul Durant Skyhorse and Richard Billings Mohawk for the murder of cab driver George Aird. And now back to the interview. But every time the defense tried to bring it up at the trial when they tried to say the FBI, uh, uh, you know, did this and they did that. And that's where this information came from. The prosecution would object and just say, objection, your honor. The FBI is not on trial here. Skyhorse and Mohawk are on trial. So, we virtually nothing about that kind of activity by all of those who infiltrated the, the trial got into court. It was it was never known. It, we knew it, but it was never came out publicly until right now. This new book that's out there, where the where the district attorney admits it and even names the names. And so that when I said that time has a way of making history timely again, that's why we're talking about Skyhorse and Mohawk today. Skyhorse and Mohawk 
um, their trial was talked about in the 70s right here on these same airwaves. You know, KPFK, Pacifica Radio, you know, has interviewed us, and it's even part of your own archives um, that you can go back and listen to those tapes that they covered, they did for us um, back in those days. And I would even venture a guess to say that there are people listening right now who might be my age. I'm, I'm 74 now. I was 25 in 1974. And uh, I would say that there are activists and organizers who lived in L.A., um, that long ago, who might even be listening today and might have been part of the Spires Mohawk Offense Defense Committee. That's the way time works, and that's why we're talking here this morning about this. And that concludes part one of this two-part interview with longtime activist and organizer Moses Mora. He was a first-hand participant in the Skyhorse Mohawk trial back in the 1970s. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with the second part of the interview.
the AIM song here on American Indian Airwaves. In the second half of our program, Marcus Lopez, executive producer and co-host of American Indian Airwaves, and I have the honor and pleasure to continue with part two of our interview with longtime activist Moses Mora, who is pivotal and shares with us his lived experiences during the turbulent times of the 1970s in the FBI's COINTELPRO operations in infiltrating the Los Angeles chapter of the American Indian movement in Box Canyon, Ventura, California, and how they framed Paul Durant Skyhorse and Richard Billings Mohawk for the murder of cab driver George Aird and the Skyhorse Mohawk trial that lasted approximately three and a half years. And now part two of our interview with longtime activist Moses Mora. Thank you, Moses, for that. Now, the book, Law and Disorder, was that uh, by the Ventura County Deputy District Attorney Lois Samsky, or who was the author of that book? No, no. Uh, yeah, but you're, you're on the right tra- trail there. Lewis Samansky was the, the one who actually persecuted during the trial, but the author was Michael Bradbury, and he okay. was like the supervisor over all of them. That's who he was. He, he And he, I can't prove this, but he was probably the one involved in the decision to drop the charges against Marvin Redshirt and the others, and instead to go ahead with the trial against Paul Skyhorse and Richard Mohawk. And that's another interesting thing about it now is that Paul Skyhorse has been dead for almost 13 years, uh, and he died never knowing that this information was going to come to light and that his name, you know, and he would be being talked once again about in, uh, on KPFK. I wanted to stay on this one point, and that is, especially when we talk about these individuals that were um, FBI informants or other individuals, we can go down the list, but one thing a defense lawyer Leonard Weinglass stated that besides uh, George Aaron, the horrible things that happened to him, he was converted to little more than a stage prop. But that his view is that George Aaron, one thing, he says, whatever this man was, he deserved better than to have the state used in such callous fashion by those who were sworn to serve and protect. And the, the whole basis of FBI and other agencies of Cointerpro uh, and the Bureau Media Campaign was to, like what you said earlier, to eliminate the support from the East and West Coast because living in the West Coast all my life, we've seen that these people come in and get support from Hollywood and other individuals for the money. And after this and during this trial, 90, 95%, if not all, of the funds was was in a decline. And so it wasn't about Paul Skyhorse or Richard Mohawk. And it was not even justice for George Aaron. It was a, a campaign in order to eliminate, like you said, two years after Wounded Knee, that was a, a, a predominant thing with different agencies in the United States in order to um, 
counter that in the public opinion. You didn't mention that, but I thought that was important. What do you think that's true? Oh yes, I do, and I didn't mention it. <laughs> There's so many other things I didn't mention either. You know, this story is very, very long and very interesting, and actually, a book has never been written about this this trial. Peter Matheson, several years ago, the author wrote a book called "In the Spirit of." Crazy Horse, and in that book, he devotes a chapter to the Skyhorse Mohawk trial. There's some inaccuracies in what he wrote, but it's fairly good. He, he, he is a good writer, and most of the stuff that he reports on is well-researched. But with Skyhorse and Mohawk, there's so much there that hasn't been reported. And I agree that, you know, what happened to George Aird was very, very tragic. You know, he was a white man who was married to a black woman, and they had lived in southern Michigan. And neither his family or her family could accept the the relationship. You know, that, you know, from one family, you know, my, my daughter's involved with a white man. And from the other family my son's involved with the black woman. So to get out of that environment, they moved to Los Angeles thinking it's more open over here, you know. And some of this stuff that I'm telling you, you might ask, how can you possibly know these things? And it was because the three people who were first arrested blabbed they talked and talked, you know. In fact, that's another reason why I testified in the trial. Um, and I'll tell you about that. Skyhorse, during the, during the trial of Skyhorse and Mohawk, they were offered at one point a deal that if they would plead guilty, they would be released, you know, just get out of jail today if you'll plead guilty. And they were up against a capital offense. You know, they could go to prison for life. And when your decision is get out of jail today or run your own chances with a trial. Okay, so they they initially agreed that, yeah, okay, we'll plead guilty to, to this. But then you've you got to look at it this way, too. What would the prosecution get out of it? You know, they're essentially, by going through with a, with a deal like that, they are essentially throwing their case away. They're like admitting, we can't win. We, we, we can't get a conviction out of this. So they'll settle for, for, just, for just that. And so... What Marvin Redshirt and Marcella and Holly did was they told the police what they wanted to hear. Uh, you know, and just whatever they did, they said Paul and Richard did it. But the, in terms of a motivation, they just wanted to get out of jail. I mean, I think that's the duty of somebody who's locked up, you know, is get out, you know. And But I also believe that 
they had no intention of ever coming back and testifying against Skyhorse and Mohawk, even though they told the police they would. And in fact, two of them did come back and testify. And their, their testimony was so weak, uh, Holly Bouchard said, you know, I don't even really remember. It was so long ago, and I had been drinking all day. I was drunk, and I don't know what happened. You know, like, she didn't say that when they were about to release her from jail, you know. She said Skyrus and Mohawk did it. But at the trial, she was no good to to the to the prosecutors. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Moses Mora, a longtime activist and organizer who was a firsthand participant in the Skyhorse Mohawk trial back in the 1970s. He's speaking on the FBI's counterintelligence program and the wrongful framing of mid-level American Indian movement activists Paul Durant Skyhorse and Richard Billings Mohawk for the murder of cab driver George Aird. And now back to the interview. She did nothing to help convict Skyros and Mohawk. She probably did them a favor by being such a weak witness. And Marvin Redshirt, man, he was even he was even something else, you know, because when you have to tr- give testimony in court, they usually have you put your hand in the Bible and swear to tell the truth. But Skyros and Mohawk was able to get us some ceremonial pipe there and let people swear on the pipe that they're gonna tell the truth so Marvin came the first day to testify and um, he saw the pipe and he was not the same after that he took the witness stand and they would ask him a question in English of course and he would respond in Lakota the Lakota language, which no one in in the courtroom understood, I don't think, because even Paul and Richard, they weren't Lakota, you know. Uh, Richard was a Mohawk Indian, and Paul was was Anishinaabe, and and so that that wasn't their language, but but it sounded like gibberish uh, to everybody else. Like, what is he saying? And he just he just acted like that he gave no information of and eventually he was arrested you know the prosecutions said that they thought he was drunk Mm -hmm. so they kept him in jail overnight and they brought him back the second day to try again and he did essentially the same thing so even though he showed up he was there at the trial he did not say anything that hurt Skyhorse and Mohawk. It helped them, you know. And the, the prosecution was just wondering, they had to be wondering, where did we get these people? This is our evidence? That's what they traded, you know. That was the deal that they made, that let these guys off in exchange for their testimony against Skyhorse and Mohawk. And this is what it was getting them. And there was and and so who told us the story about what George Aird said in the cab about 
him and his wife moving out to Los Angeles was actually Holly Bouchard herself. And when she, Holly got out of jail, you know, I, I wondered myself why other Indian people even talked to her because I was taking it like she's a snitch. You know, why are people friendly to her? But I guess they had the understanding that she's not going to go over there and testify. She's not going to do any damage against Paul and Richard. She was just trying to get herself uh, out of jail at that time. And so um, that's how we knew a lot of things. And if there's time, I'll even tell you a, another story. First, I'll give you a chance to ask me any questions about this, but I'll tell you another story about... Uh, surprise witness. So I wanted to, uh, in sticking, Moses, with what you're uh, sharing with us, you mentioned Michael Bradbury, right, in his book, Law and Disorder, Confessions of a, a District Attorney, um, his brand new book. I was wondering, if, in kind of coming, or sticking with the case, but coming back to him, who he is, because he, he was uh, an assistant Right for the district attorney for Ventura County, John said Do Dobroth, and um, and I know Michael. Well, per, so I understand Michael Bradbury at some point either removed himself or was removed from the Skyhawk Mohawk case, and and again he had taken over the case from um, John Dobroth, and I know at one point Dobroth was trying to. Uh, summons uh, Virginia DeLuce, uh, who was, if I understand correctly, the co-founder of Los Angeles American Indian Movement and the Treasurer. Um, but the FBI uh, was opposed to Virginia DeLuce testifying uh, at the uh, Skyhorse Mohawk case. I was wondering if you could speak to that um, in, in relationship to what you're sharing with us. Okay, well, I had never heard that Virginia DeLuce was like the chair, the treasurer, or or had any role with the American Indian movement? I had never heard that before. So I that comes from. Um, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, Stephen Hendricks' book, "The Unquiet Grave: The FBI and the Struggle for the Soul of Indian Country." So as a uh, that came out several years ago, and that's what he's stating in his book. So that's that's okay. the, the source of that information. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with that book. Uh, but, um, I mean, it could be right. It could be right. You know, she was, he again is proving that she was active uh, with them. And I don't know how much the FBI, how much say they had in the, in the trial. I mean, the trial belonged to the county of Ventura, and it was their prosecutors that had to prosecute. Okay, so to more directly answer your question about Michael Bradbury, yeah. the only reason that he wasn't part of actively in, in court uh, prosecuting them is because of the change of venue. And, what you, and he was actually higher up in the administration anyway. He was probably doing administrative stuff. And he had a long career, and at one point he was assistant, but also at another point he was the district attorney mm. in Ventura. And uh, I, I don't, um, you know, you'd have to read his book. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I got the book, and uh, I only read Chapter 8, 
And in my opinion, it is not accurate at all. Um, there's untruths and outright lies, and I think it's pretty shabbily written. And if the other chapters are written like chapter eight is, it's not worth reading. <laughs> you know how you know how Abby Hoffman had that book called "Still This Book." Well, don't pay don't pay your good money for for it. You know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. But, you know, I live in the same town with Michael Bradbury. And uh, he just last week, he spoke publicly and I was in attendance. Uh, fortunately for him, they did not have a question and answer period because <laughs> I was I was in the audience ready to ambush. <laughs> but, well, Moses, um, we know that. We know that a lot of characters within Southern Gal, uh, whether it be AIM National Leadership and whether it be individuals saying they're Native or not, AIM as a Southern California or LA group never was solidified with the original people, and there was a lot of people coming and going at that time. So that that's the climate, you know, was very, and I think the important thing to remember is that. It wasn't these niceties. It was a trial and everybody, you know, it was a lot of stuff was going like the Camp 13 was a make-believe. And the, the, the thing about it was a lot of people and, and the Skyhorse of Mohawk, the, um, they didn't have the best reputation, let's put it that way. And at the same time, even the AIM leadership, they wanted to defend them or not because of Durham. And it was all these different twists and turns that created this hodgepodge of confusion in which certain intelligent communities nationally, whether it be the Black Panthers, the Berets, Brown Berets, or whether it be American Movement, Young Lords, their premise was to disorientate, to neutralize, to eliminate the leadership. And this particular case, and I, I, I haven't read Law and Disorder, but this particular case, what you're you're speaking to us, is the indication how the authority, regardless what alphabet, and the individuals, regardless you know who they were in the, in the structure of things from the ground ground level to innocent people like Eric, to you know the regular community and celebrities and all this a big mishmash of stuff that it was at the time trying to neutralize the consciousness of American Indian movement, American Indian peoples, in order to come to the right of defense. And this was smack dab middle in an era of disorientation, of misinformation, and also of, you know, like, like Marvin Hawley and Marcella was charged with murder, robbery, kidnapping, and conspiracy. Well, the government was involved in the whole conspiracy of all, everything, a lot of stuff. And we can go down the list, but I think the important thing that you're saying that I get for your message is that now it's being exposed, number one, but secondly, how we need to understand this process. And, and um, Moses, what can we learn from this? Well, you know, this country has, and thank you for your statements. You were pretty, pretty right on with, with, with what you were saying. But what we know that is that this country has a lot of secrets. You know, 
wouldn't we all like to know what really happened to President Kennedy, JFK? You know, that's never been resolved in any satisfactory kind of way, in any kind of believable way. And and there's, you know, there's just so much of these half-truths and hidden truths and what do you want to believe. You could pretty much take a side of something and make a, make a good argument, you know. And I mean, maybe that's why the Democrats and Republicans are, they each believe that the other one drank the Kool-Aid. You know, they're crazy, you know. <laughs> it's, it's like, and they're talking about the same thing, you know, the same issue. The moment of silence is over. And that was Moses Mora, a longtime activist and organizer and participant with the Skyhorse Mohawk trial back in the 1970s. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to Moses Mora. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. Sleep cage against their fear. They try not to become what they've endured. Wearing their souls on the thread. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains is over.